Howdy. And welcome. We made it to episode one. All the way to All episode way. one. So to clarify, the first episode that you heard us talking was episode zero. This is episode one of the Won't Shut Up and Skate podcast, focusing on Texas skateboarding, history, stories, nostalgia, and all the other cool stuff that happens in Texas. I'm with Carjack. Hey, Carjack. Hey, Chip. How are you today? I'm doing pretty good today. We just finished off some breakfast tacos from around the corner. Oh, hell yeah. I did a little research a little not too long ago about breakfast tacos, and uh, our uh, our friends from the South, Mexico, came into Texas, and no restaurant can claim fame to the breakfast taco, but Wait, I'm going to say they it's a Texas thing. They weren't invented in Austin in the 1970s? Well, they'd like to tell you they were, because they were hippies, and they were, you know, yeah, hippies. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I'll rep Austin all day long, but we didn't invent the damn breakfast tacos. Somebody a thousand years ago, at, right after they invented the tortilla, invented the breakfast taco. Just made some tortillas that something spilt on there. Oh, I'll eat that one. Right. Something like that. Hey, so cool, uh, not related, related skateboard story. Uh, so I work from home and the other day, uh, four o'clock in the afternoon, I get a knock on the door. The dogs go crazy and I'm like, shit. All right, let's see what this is. Somebody peddling something. And I kind of peek out my front window and I'm like, I don't know. He's got Lakai shoes on. All right, well, I'll open the door. So I open the door and it's the Google Fiber guy. Big, tall dude, long, curly hair, Google Fiber shirt on. Starts to go into the, hi, I'm Google Fiber guy. And I said, stop. I said, man, I appreciate it. I know I've got AT&T, I'm good, whatever, et cetera. And I said, I really only opened the door because I looked out and you had Lakai's shoes on. He goes, do you skate? And I go, mm, yeah. And I said, I said, do you skate? And he goes, yeah, not much. I used to, da, 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 et cetera. And I said, well. You want to look step at, inside and, and see at, the museum? Look at, <laughs> look at this. And I opened the door and I let him peek in. And when you walk into my house, the very first entry room is a 12 by 12 room-ish or so. And it is my mini museum with it's every space and wall is filled. And the guy walks in and he's like, <gasps> what? And I was like, yeah, let me put the uh, the window up. Can I take some photos? Yeah, sure. And he took a couple of photos and I explained and I also explained that we we're kind of starting this podcast and, you know, we do skateboard stuff, et cetera. And he's like, dude, you just made my day. I'm not going to try to sell you. Forget that. And I'm like, it's all good. So we talked for a minute. Should have cut, tried to get him to be a sponsor. Yeah, right. Google Fiber guy. I'm sure he has some clout with Google Fiber. Not a sponsor yet. <laughs> I like the yet. So again, welcome to our uh, adventure in podcasting. If you've heard episode zero, Carrie and I are venturing this for some uh, passionate, inspired reasons that have to do with Texas skateboarding and our background. So... Episode zero, again, we went through kind of what we were doing, why we were doing this, when we were doing this, and that sort of thing. We have been lucky enough. This is our second episode. We're recording the weekend previous post after the other one, and that episode will have already launched by the time you hear this one. So in episode one here, who the fuck are we? Who are these two kooks, Carjack and <laughs> That is Kezo? a good question. Uh, and we're going to move into, so what do we know now? History 101, like seriously, y'all, if you heard the first episode, this is a deep dive. 
I hope. It's like 14 times in the first episode. So, uh, but we're going to really kind of dig to the stories. We're going to, we're going to find out about a lot of more details. And so, yeah, this is going to be a, a process. And as Carjack, as you mentioned, we're not just doing the history, but we're starting there and then we'll build on. Hopefully all the way into the future. Back to the future of skateboarding, which is happening in Texas. It is uh, one of the things I'll talk about here in a minute is a little bit of current stuff and what's happening around us and what's going on. So uh, to continue what's going to happen in this episode, we're going to, like I said, kind of what we know now, 101, we've got some information about print, photo, video, kind of how things happened and uh, how we got to this early point. Uh, you had some homework. If you paid attention in episode one, we would have posted... Episode zero. Zero, excuse me. Uh, we would have posted the Shut Up and Skate A history, uh, which is on YouTube. And I spoke to Alan Gentry. It was Alan Gentry and Mike Laird. And I, I helped out a little bit towards the end there. And they've got more episodes to do. But at this point, it's six episodes and they're very avant-garde they're very uh artistic and very diy and we'll talk a little bit about that first and second episode in that and then we'll uh hopefully you'll had some links and already watch that so that'll be kind of got uh what we got going on in this episode um any uh any you didn't even get to hear the first the uh, episode zero yet carjack so I'd, I'd ask you what you thought i was but there for it you were there for it it was you know, I, I had my impressions had your impressions. One of the things that I like about this is just from some of the prep we've done and mentioning the fact that we're doing this to some people, I've already learned a lot of new stuff that I didn't know before oh, about some of Texas skateboard history. And I thought I knew a good bit. There's a lot. There's a lot out there. And that's the whole thing. It's not going to be just two guys talking about the old great times and all that, which, yes, we will. But it's really going to try to solve some, you know, some mysteries, things that have been talked about or stories but aren't necessarily in print or video. Um, and I've continued to dig around the Internet and find out what I can. I've had some conversations, like I said, with Alan Gentry. I've chatted with John Now and Kenny Payton, who both very important to the Austin scene. Uh, I've talked to um, Poindexter. Um, there, that would be Brett, Brett Anderson. Brett Anderson, who's very integral. Um, and then I've had multiple conversations and text. And so by the time you hear this, the hype hopefully will be continuing and uh, we will have at least somewhat lived up to it. I mean, you know. Yeah. One of the things that I feel like it's probably important to uh, keep reminding people about is this is not going to be a straight linear history. This is, we're going to jump back and forth a lot. We're going to try to start kind of early in the early days, but, um, and, and just to have a good, uh, you know, basis to start from, but there's going to be so many things that we forget to mention or that we discover along the way. We have to go back and, and kind of, uh, fill in spots, and there's going to be some things that we're going to want to jump ahead to uh, sooner than later. So, you know, just because we don't catch something and in, you know, episode four and all of a sudden now we're in 1985, 1987, whatever it is. And you're like, wait, you guys missed this thing. Well, we're, we're going to try to get there. Um, so this is not a linear narrative, but uh, we are going to try to get as much of everything as we can. 
Absolutely. Well spoken as you uh, tend to do. And a quick note that I mentioned in episode zero. Uh, yeah, we're trying to do a history thing. We're trying to, to fill in blanks and create this timeline in much more depth than has been done. And we want you guys to help us with that. Somebody's going to nerd out more than we do and kind of go from the first episodes on and hopefully start making notes and that sort of thing because it needs to happen. And, and we're going to try to do some of that ourselves, but that's what these episodes are for and about. And we're going to start with the early stuff because that's what it's about. And we're going to start how we got there and and where we were and what we skated, what we were thinking and what the times were. And then don't worry, Mr. Trey Flip down a five set. We're going to get to some uh, street skating and some flippers and all that kind of stuff. It's not just about the OG because there is a hugely rich history of uh, all skateboarding, including uh, downhill slalom, uh, which right now, as we speak this weekend, Maggie is in San Diego, San Diego uh, competing for the Nationals, maybe Nationals right. or Worlds, I think Nationals Downhill Slalom, and she has been just doing great and, for a while, and she comes from a dad, Kenny Harrison, who comes from Corpus Christi, of which we will be talking about quite a bit in this episode and upcoming episodes, and there's reason for that. That's not sure that... Kenny and Lou are also skating in that same. Oh, yeah, exactly. And maybe Jeff Minks. He might. I don't know if Jeff went or not. I, I need to call them and find out. Again, this podcast, you might want to listen just because we're going to be mentioning a lot of our homies and people we know and, and all over the place. We're lucky to know a lot. But it's kind of giving some light to some of the local people that don't or won't ever get mentioned in magazines or, or whatever, but are huge parts of the scene and what's going on. And, and you know, if, if you like the wiggle boarding and you like doing cones in a parking lot and going fast and that sort of thing, then Lou, Kenny, Maggie, Jeff Minks, and Corey Thornhill and, and Ryan of, Smith. A lot and, of people. Uh, Gumby from down south. A lot of that's That's one of the things they're into. So that'll be brought up and that'll be discussed at uh, some point, yo, street flippers. Also a little quick... Uh, uh, kind of shout out uh, to Michelle Kitchens. So when we talk about some things happening here in the local town, recently we went to Isaac's birthday at his Maggie's Ramp at Isaac's house, and Michelle Kitchen was there. And if you know Michelle Kitchen, she's uh, very cute and animated and fun, and she's a rad rad skater and uh she kept asking us when's it coming out i keep refreshing my page refreshing my page so i guess uh, we better put some content out so it's a little shout out and love for the people who are going to support us and i told her it's kind of like uh the uh, mail that you sent in the old day for sponsorship and Meaning it never gets there or you either <laughs> never gets there or you checked your mailbox forever and michelle Keep checking your mailbox. <laughs> we should have a drop that whenever a, a new episode drops, we have the sound of a UPS truck pulling up out front. <laughs> uh, note that, John. Uh. <laughs> By the way, Michelle uh, tried to tell Joey that you only gave her one sticker, so she didn't have <gasps> any to share. <laughs> oh, my gosh. Well, I don't know. I'm not going to either claim that or not claim that. I did see that Joey liked our Insta. Oh, I threw her uh, under the bus. But... I was like, Chip gave her a bunch, Joey. <laughs> He's going to be like, hey, there's one in the van. Oh, that's cute. Wait, there's one on the fridge. Wait, is that one on your Yeti? Wait, is that? She was like, but they're different colors. <laughs> so they're not the same. Yeah. 
It doesn't count. If uh, if we're able to get to you, our first round of stickers care of Cat Palace, uh, one of our partners, Jesse Thank you Mayer. very much to Jesse. Uh, he, uh, we did a first round. I've already had to order a second because we didn't order that many to start because we're just starting. And uh, we did six colors, all in the reflection of the Thank You Jeff Newton Shut Up and Skate original decals that we mentioned in episode zero and one of our inspirations uh, from 85. Correct. So, uh, while we're speaking about shout outs, take a minute to do some proper shout outs. Uh, I mentioned Jeff Newton. We always want to give props out to him and all he's done for Texas skateboarding, the big boys and allowing us to share their music and be a part of the stoke. Um, I, I also did a little clip that threw in some butthole surfers from, from local here. And then I also did one. We forgot to mention in our memoriam last time, Tom Thornhill. I don't know how we possibly committed that. We were just going so fast through so many names, but Tom was such a amazing guy and such a huge influence on the Austin skate scene. And he did a song sitting in his skate park Dillo shop and wrote Empty Pools Rule. Empty uh, Pools Do Rule. Uh, among a, a few others. And I put a little out of that. So big love and shout out and inspiration to Tom Hill. And I've talked to Corey recently and he's excited, excited and stoked and, and happy that, that uh, we're doing this. And obviously we'll get him on. He did a wonderful podcast and even sang that song with uh, Chase and Hondo on Drop It In Texas. And don't forget, we want to shout out and make sure to go catch their episodes. They're hopefully going to get back at it. They're also going to be stepping in every once in a while and and telling us some stuff. And then another shout out to John Miller here and Eureka Springs Creative. Eureka Street. Eureka Street. God dang it. Eureka Springs is a town in Arkansas. (laughs) Yeah, exactly. Let's not talk about Arkansas. Street Creative. And John Miller, and he has this production company that does some podcast stuff. So if you need that kind of thing, then get a hold of him because he is starting up and doing a few shows. We're one of them. Hopefully we won't fail him. Beyond the shows, he's also <laughs> so creating the Skate Gym coming soon. soon Soonish. Ish. Permits. To a uh, town near you. Yeah, the Skate Gym is up in North Austin, and it's going to be a small facility, boat mainly geared around kids getting their understanding and learning and starting to kind of move up in skateboarding and people who want to get into it, older folks who want to get back into it. And it's going to kind of be set up like a gym membership kind of format. Come and in the and really do important workout. part of all this is that it's an indoor skate park. <laughs> you can get out of the sun. There are not many of those. Thank goodness to shout out to uh, in Houston, Southside Skate Park and Big O. And then of course, Four Down has an indoor portion of their park and I would say other than the skate gym well there's, there's the, probably some other the point co- skate shop in, oh yes yes, yes in yes. Dallas and they've got two locations in Dallas each one has an indoor bowl but man there's not much and there used to be so many of them here in Texas and the, you know all the great new municipal skate parks that are made out of concrete and free to ride are great but we did lose something in that process. Um, there was a whole, I would say there's a whole culture around indoor skate parks in the eighties and nineties. And there's a generation of kids now that have not experienced that because they don't exist anymore. And, and, and those of us that grew up in between, we're young for, to utilize the full parks 
uh, that were Crete in the early days. And then most of it was wood ramps and et cetera. And then we finally got Crete in our older days. A lot of us are like, man, wood just hurts less when you fall. I mean, it's not permanent and there's a gnarliness to skateboarding, but let's be honest, there's something about wood ramps that is... It was embedded in us back in the 80s. Yeah. Well, and to me, the two most uh, notable things about the indoor wood parks were one, it was it was indoors. So you could you could skate at night. There was lights. Heat dome. Good lights. (laughs) You were out of the sun. You were out of the rain. You're out of the cold. It that was awesome. But also because it was wood, you could change it up. It's not cast in stone like concrete is, which obviously I love concrete parks been building them for 16 years but there's something to be said about the fact that Southside keeps changing it up every year and the fact that dennis at the skate park of houston did if you didn't if it had been six or eight months since you'd been to the skate park of houston there was something new something new every yeah. time that guy could not sit still and i kind of miss that it's it's great to see how parks evolve when it's not something that's set permanently and you can just tweak it a little bit, add a little something else, tear down something that wasn't working so good, build something different there. And, you know, I I would love to see some of that come back. Well, the skate gym and the kids get to grow up on it and go there and utilize it. So uh, we appreciate that. And we appreciate John very much. Um, Let's give another big shout out because we kind of mentioned in episode zero and uh, as one of our good buddies, one of the Houston guys, Mike Money and Matt Money is his son and cockfight skateboards. We got one sitting here behind us and uh, I kind of mentioned this in episode zero, but uh, not to go back over that because you have to listen is we've got a nice uh, kind of the resurgent of the egg shape. Yeah, it's, it's the early 90s egg shape. Egg shape. It's uh, got the new cool cockfight graphic with the the rooster attacking a curb and we are going to be giving instructions here in the next week or so about raffling that off basically and that's going to give us a little bit back to help us for what we're investing and try to make this show better for you and also give some love to cockfight skateboards they have done a huge amount uh for their scene and two things about cockfight other than the fact that it's a buddy of ours um is that well three things they keep it raw they keep it core skateboarding is supposed to be raw and core and harder and that's what it is and they do bro models and not very many companies do that some do but certainly bro models um Um, And then they still seek and drain and destroy pools. They do. They've got quite a selection going. I'd also like to give them credit for um, trying to help uh, promote the resurgence of chicken fried steak, which apparently was becoming a uh, endangered species in in Texas or something. I don't know. They seem really concerned that it, it's losing popularity. It is. They've grown the uh, the hashtag chicken fried steak, bitch. Yep. They've grown that. So go and make sure to tag them. And look, uh, every time Cockfight does a run of boards, they sell out. And I went back and got like my... Like immediately yeah, sell so out. I can't buy stock any. Is limited. Come on, Mike. Make more boards, yeah, Mike. Shit. Make some old shit. Anyway, stock is limited. Sell them out so that he can get some more boards. Thank you, Cockfight. Um, and they're on big cartel we mentioned jesse over at cat palace which just go there just to skate his gnarly couple of bowls in the backyard but cat palace um you can catch them at cat palace 
mfg at gmail.com and they are your go-to for uh, stickers, die cut, or simple shapes. They do um, anything printed related, t-shirts, uh, screen boards, they do all kinds of stuff and he also has a little side hustle that he refurbishes boards to make them look like you when you, you bought them. You can give him your original writer from back in the 80s that's all shredded and he will restore that thing and make it look like it did on the day you bought it. it he's an artist. Yeah, and I will say this, though. He is stacked up because I tried to get a my Brian Pennington epic that I have in pretty darn condition, good condition. I have a second one I wanted to get redone, and he hasn't got to it yet, but I also have to remind him. So thanks to Jesse and a uh, big shout out for Cat Palace, one of our early partners. Uh, Brett Styles, uh, you can get him at Brett Styles, and that's B-R-E-T-T-S-T-I-L-E-S design.com. Brett Styles, design.com, and bstyles665 on his Insta. He is a graphic artist and an artist, not just graphic stuff, but he does cool contemporary art and does a lot of really neat things, and he has helped us with our logo and design and some of the photos and backsplashes that you're going to start seeing pop up as well as um, he's also helping design some other brands around town. Yeah, he contributed uh, skateboards to the skateboard art auctions we did to try to raise money for the Taylor Skate Park initiative to get that awesome Evergreen Park built in Taylor. And um, we did three of those three years in a row and he uh, contributed a board every time and they were always some of my favorites to see out of the 150 boards we had each time. Um, his were always really creative, really cool looking, and they they got some decent money in the auction too. So uh, Brett's art is really good and definitely worth a checkout. To move forward and speak about also, uh, we're in discussions and certainly going to be talking to Cat Catacular from Cherry Wheels. And uh, they're going to be uh, figuring out a way that we can do some collabs and all that. And the really cool thing about Cherry's Wheels is that it is a Texas original company. And the best thing about it is it a woman-owned, woman-created skateboard wheel company the first of its kind as far as the ownership and coming out of texas as a woman skateboard company who supports all ages genders races everything you can think of and just put out a little rad video called cherry pie and she's uh got a curb bash next weekend what's that car jack what was the first one about the first one? Yeah. Well, just well, tell them what curb. Car, car, I'm trying to lead you. I'm trying to lead Carjack into telling us something. Well, I thought the first one was just about uh, dropping the 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 new wheel they had out. And the, this is just a uh, continuation and celebration of Austin's very own DIY skate community at the Lizard Ditch in Southeast Austin. And um, there's a couple of really cool long curbs at the far end of the ditch that are pretty damn perfect um in addition to all the other different obstacles of which they just added a new one called the rocket pocket that they just poured yesterday and uh will be ready for the contest next weekend and it's just going to be kind of a hangout mellow session for for the overall vibe of it, but there are actual uh, scheduled contests there for best trick on multiple different obstacles. And uh, I don't know that she necessarily has any new product to drop at this one. I think this is just a continuation of the curb bash to try to make it an annual event. 
and and keep this going. Yeah, but what's so rad about it is not only that it's an old historic ditch or part of a ditch system called Lizard Ditch. This is Lizard DIY down from the original in Austin, Texas, where uh, there was a big flood and the homes would not, uh, they wouldn't allow them to rebuild the homes. So this open space has now been kind of allowed. Uh, they've, they've, there's been a lot of ambassadors. They built a lot of stuff. They figured out what the city does and does not want. And then, yeah, they've built this. So this, this. Oh, this, I remember. It's their one year anniversary. Oh, yeah. I'm sure. It is, wheels. It that, is their one round. So congratulations for that. Congratulations, And the rad Kat. thing is that they have in a ditch in an abandoned neighborhood. Basically, you've got an okay, and you have punk rock bands. You've got long curbs. You've got <laughs> rocket pockets and all kinds of gnarly DIY at this spot. And so that's happening next. Well, it's happening the first weekend of September, except this will probably not have aired then. So we hope that was a rad event because <laughs> we won't get this out because our first episode, episode zero, is dropping at the end of this week. And Dude, so I just looked at my weekend, crystal ball. But, it hey, was awesome. It was awesome. It, it was turned the best out thing so ever. Good. A thousand people came and they all contributed money. And now it's going to be an official skate park Dude, and Thrasher's coming out too. Do you remember that one trick that Gavin did? Oh, the double trip over the flip. The, the, in the that huge, that yeah. huge thing Gavin did. Yes, that was huge. Wait, which Gavin? Uh, I don't know. Oh, wait, oh, there's each, there's each several. There's there's multiple it. Gavins. Yeah, multiple they all Gavins. rip. They all rip. Ah, um, hey man, I made this note, and it's thank you, big boys, and that is go start your own band. Go build your own scene. Go make it happen. And that's part of the theme of what this podcast is about is because Texas was DIY from the beginning. And uh, make your own scene. And we mentioned uh, Isaac and Maggie's Ramp. That's been going on for so many years. Vert in Austin. Uh, you've got that. And then you've got Doug's uh, place and a lot of other great things happening in the scene. We just mentioned Lizard Ditch and that sort of thing. Um, but there's a lot of other stuff going on and we don't know about it all. And we'll try to mention things, but... Send us a note if you need to. Uh, won't show up and skate at gmail.com is the main place to do that. And uh, let us know what's going on. And also, if you want to support us, if you want to throw us a couple bucks, you want to you want to donate something, you want to participate, you want to become a sponsor, you want to get involved, you want to help see this grow, contact us. We're not really sure how to make all that shit happen, but we think we've got an idea how to start and we need your help. And Dude, go a lot into, of it. Go into the closet, dig out the old shoebox, get the photos, get those old photos you have we, videos we know you've got them yeah, yeah get the old videos get Brian the old Pennington. super eight videos that you're gonna have to try to figure out how to convert to digital we're there for you we can help make that happen we want the footage we want to get all the history that is true and the last mention that you will have heard this podcast by the time this happened happening and it's upcoming i just wanted to give a big shout out to scott throwing the banger in the hangar number four uh vert and big vert is back in texas i am very lucky to help announce that um and it is the best reunion slash vert party texas style in november the months that they used to have shit up and skate the weather's perfect it just starts to get a little cold in the evenings and it's the most beautiful setup that he's got so make sure you support go check out banger in the hangar and houston vert ramp and all that which if we're going to give them a shout out i got to give four down and mike crumb a little bit of a shout out because it, this is about continuing and and propping up our texas uh, uh events our texas scene our texas places and crumb is doing by far more of a fantastic job than just about anybody in the country. He's doing amazing work up there in Dallas. So the four down scene is just 
the the skate park itself is really cool but the community scene that mike has started there with the food bank and the food drives he's got yoga classes there he's got all sorts of stuff going on there and he's constantly rebuilding too they're rebuilding the bowl right now up there and yeah he's he's got some amazing things going on in dallas and we'll probably forget some stuff and we'll get back to it so real quick as we go into actually some of the meat of this in our episode zero, I did miss in all my research something super important, and I apologize for that to Joe King, uh, Innovation Skate Shop from Dallas, and his Tex- Texas Scott. St- oh gosh, that messed it up. Texas Style Skateboarding. Go to the website Texas Style Skateboarding, and I forgot to kind of mention, and I found and refreshed my memory that he has done a great job of what we're talking about. He's got stories interviews, footage, and DVDs that are all the old Shut Up and Skate contests, some of the old footage from the that a lot of us have seen, but it's all on one DVD, and you can go through and he two, tells... Two DVDs. He made yeah, a second two, one. Sorry. Yeah, you're right. DB, two DVDs, and go to his site. He's also tied into some other related stuff. Um, he's got links to Surf House, and that'll be a whole other story that we come up later, um, but he's got links to punk rock stuff, and he's got all kinds of stuff but mainly that i wanted to to shout him out because it's super important and we're super appreciative that there is a lot that we know on paper and a lot of the stuff that he has is is what we're talking about that we kind of know but we want to respect him for doing all of that work and i've reached out to him and hopefully by the time we get to the next thing i'll have talked to him and he'll be something that's uh important so go check that out i'll put a link and all that stuff uh upcoming once this episode goes live and that's joe king at innovation uh he was uh the owner for innovation skate shop back in dallas and then um he now lives in hawaii and uh he sells uh wares and t-shirts and i don't know what all he does but if i catch up with him i'll let you know sweet all right so how we doing all right so back to the beef of things that took a little while we didn't expect to have as much fluff but we want to make sure that we stay relevant i dare we want to talk about stuff that's happening we want to stuff and give shout outs and that's what some of that was early on we'll get better at this i think i hope i don't know john's over there like his eyes are all over the place and that's kind of the uh, he's scared smile. <laughs> <laughs> All right. So uh, before we dig into the actual history class, just a little bit, just because there's a lot of people that we're lucky to know and we appreciate all our friends and support, but there's other people who are like, who the fuck are these dudes? What are these are these guys kooks? And, you know, we're kooks on our way, but why us? Why are they doing this? And I'm glad somebody finally took the rain, but, you know, why? And Carjack, this dude right here across the table from me uh, has been in skateboarding. I don't know. We probably crossed paths way back in the day at the skate park in Houston. We you're, definitely you're did. 52. I'm 56. But um, since then, and since I've known Carjack a lot more in the last several years, he's very deeply involved in skateboarding and building and building X Games and parks and traveling around and still rips to this day. Uh, but uh, just brief. I don't know if this is possible. Why are you the guy? Tell us a little history, Carjack, about yourself. Just, I said brief. (laughs) (laughs) Well, let me take you back to the spring of 1971. Insert old music. (laughs) 
No, I was born in Austin in 1971. Uh, my family's been here for five generations. Um, so I've got deep roots here in, in Austin in central Texas. Um, and when I was a little kid uh, in the early 70s, uh, Austin was a small town. It was only like 250,000 people when I was born. Um, and you either worked for the university or for the state capital in some fashion that, that those were the two industries here all the real jobs were in houston that's that was the uh the economic center it was booming with the the oil business and it was just expanding like crazy and um because you know for for comparison i think houston was like just about to hit a million people in the early 70s and now it's what like six million people so we moved to Houston and that's where I mostly grew up out in the suburbs of West Houston, out near Katy, uh, Bear Creek and um, Brian Pinton and Brett Roper and Dave Nielsen. Uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. The whole West side crew, um, uh, Chris Gentry, Katy high school, uh, alumni, um, Pennington went to Taylor high school. Brett and I went to Maid Creek high school along with a whole bunch of other skateboarders out there. There was a very cool thriving skate scene out there. And, uh, I remember the first time I skateboarded was I was six years old. So 77. And I had a friend who had a little wooden banana board. It was a banana board, but it was wooden. It was like a legit one. And, uh, and we were trying to ride it in on his driveway. Several of us, it was like eight of us taking turns, trying to bomb down his driveway in it. And, uh, on like my third or fourth try, I slipped out fell, shot the board out in the street, a car ran it over, broke it in half. And I had to buy him a new one, which was like $8. And in 1977 God. to a six-year-old kid, $8 might as well have been 5,000. So anyway, I, yeah, I swore off skateboarding at age six after trying it for all of 15 minutes. And, uh, a bunch of us got into BMXing for a while because that was getting really popular and everybody wanted to be evil Knievel in the 70s. And there was always skateboards around, but I kind of missed the transition from banana boards into the fat boards until that happened in 83. And my neighbor across the street had one, had his brother and sister each had one. They didn't care about it. So he had two extra skateboards lying around. And my brother and I started skating with them. And these were the cool boards. He had a Lester with the splat graphic and the Billy Ruff with the the hand with the goblet. One of my up. favorites. Yeah, the GNS, uh, early Billy Ruff. And um, so we started, you know, kind of tic-tacking around with them on that. And uh, this would have been, I was 13, eighth grade. Somebody, a kid in one of my English classes, our teacher had a deal where if we stayed ahead of our schedule, on Fridays, we could have movie day. And this one kid asked, hey, can we show this movie? And he brought a video. What was it? It was the Bones Brigade video show. Oh, shit. The first Powell video. At school. The teacher took it home to check it out, make sure it was, you know, okay for kids to watch. And it's only like a 30-minute video. She's so like, this is a bunch of crap. No, she thought it was punks. cool. And she played it for us. And... uh you know, that opening scene where Stacy Peralta smashes the TV with the axe and pulls the skateboard out and goes, now this is a skateboard. I was hooked. By the time Lance came out the chimney and acid dropped off the roof at age 13, I was like, I know what I want to do with my life. This is my new identity. I'm a skateboarder. So what did you do? I immediately doubled down on skating on my friend's boards, told my mom I wanted to skateboard, got a skateboard for Christmas that year. Um, it was only like a month after this. And, uh, that was a Sims flagship. Um, 
with Indies and Sims Street Wheels, the super fat giant wheels on it. And it had every piece of plastic you could imagine on it. Rails, nose guard, tail guard, lapper, copers, everything. Um, but I felt like I got in good with like quality equipment from day one. And I was all in. I was all in for that. Um, probably skated for a year before we ever discovered street ollies because they were just getting invented about that point in 1984. So we were doing Tic Tacs and bonelesses and 360s acid and slides, drops. acid drops. And then nose, boneless to nose pit. Yeah. First time I saw a kid ollie over a newspaper that was on the sidewalk, I ran over and grabbed it. I was like, how did you do that? And made him show me. And we spent the next several months learning how to do that. And, but I've been all in since then. Never stopped. It's been, it'll, it'll be 40 years this year that I've been riding a skateboard. They're identifying as a skateboarder, not since the first time I stepped on a skateboard, but, um, and you know, it, it became all consuming in my life because I started building my entire lifestyle around it since the time I was probably 21 years old. The first group house I lived in in Austin, we built a mini ramp in the backyard. I built my first ramp in my driveway when I was 14 and uh, started building. We built street contests in the 80s where we would just uh, go either liberate some wood from a job site or we'd borrow 50 bucks from our parents to buy some wood because wood was really cheap back in the 80s. History note for all you youngins, Liberty Wood, Liberty Wood. You buy that at the Midnight Lumberyard. <laughs> yes, you buy that at the Midnight Lumberyard. It's kind of like in the 80s where you had, I mean, it's kind of like now where you have your self-checkout, except nobody was watching the self-checkout, so you just kind of checked out. So uh, Glossary with Carjack Liberty Wood. Liberty. <laughs> Any wood. Anyway, to kind of yeah, tie it into a knot. But we it, started building mm, ramps yeah. for these street courses, which taught me a lot from trial and error. And we would just try out weird ideas that we had. Um, we thought at one point, like, what if we put two ramps together at a weird angle and made it like a snowplow? We built the first hip I'd ever seen. And, uh, and we saw the stuff that Dennis was building at the skate park of Houston. And that inspired us to try out new, weird, different stuff. And that led me into all the building stuff. And then I've never not had a ramp at whatever house I lived in since like 1993. And I've, I mean, that's, we're probably talking 10 or 12 backyard ramps over the years. With yeah, this. but seriously, you're one of the go-to guys that knows stuff when you're building. So you parlayed that into a career for a few years as I try to get Carjack to win that down. <laughs> well, it, I would like to thank very much uh, Lee Brooks and Mike Kelly and Doug King for setting me on the right course with all that and teach me a lot of what I know about building um, and giving me some really good early opportunities with all that. But yeah, that's kind of what led me here. I got into building skate parks professionally, did that for 15 years. COVID kind of killed the whole X Games career because everything got canceled and it was like a big reset. Um, and in the meantime, I got a job that actually pays well because skateboarding does not pay the bills skateboarding is not a career kids. And, um, so these days I'm just building stuff for fun and, uh, I'm, I'm welding stuff for money. That's how I got to here. How about you, Chip? Where you started off in the Houston area as well, didn't you? Well, that was a natural lead in. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I started out uh, in Pasadena, Stinkadena, they called it, because of all the oil refineries, you couldn't go outside without it smelling bad. And my earliest memory was running around on uh, 
you know, wood board. I don't remember if it was clay or if it was uh, uh, steel wheels at that time. Um, but then you kind of move forward a few years. And when I, when Skateboarder Magazine started subscriptions in 1977, my mom got me one. And so I have the first two years, I think it's the only two years of Skateboarder because they'd ended and they went to action now. Um, And those inspired me seeing the dudes out in California. Like we talked about in episode zero, we're only a couple of months behind and that's because of media. And we were trying to do the stuff that they were doing. And then once we got our wings, we started to try to do stuff. But I got the magazines, was checking those out. And then that's when I have a picture of me on a bonsai red board that I still own don't have the trucks they were gt trucks and road riders and uh i would put on my volleyball knee pads because that's what there was and i would roll around off the curb and you know do 360s and and all that kind of stuff then i had a friend down the street named mike and we used to put tires stacked up piece of plywood and they all trying to work three wheels out and that kind of stuff so that was the you know pretty much the early days and then as we went into junior high and into high school, uh, I started high school in 1981. So finishing my 78 was the last year of Skateboarder Magazine. I kind of kept with it, whatever. And then, of course, we were at that point where we were just discovering. And that's when we started hearing about skateboarding and seeing a little bit more of it on the level of people doing tricks and airs and that sort of thing. So move a little bit forward. I just kind of stayed in it. And then there's a uh, we found some ramps and things around town and used to go drive down to um, off of Highway 6 and there was a ramp called the Swamp Ramp or the BH Ramp, which I have photos of. That's where I met a lot of the guys that I know and the the Dave Rule, David Donaldson, uh, Nielsen, Pennington. Um, there's a bunch of other dudes that, that uh, we'll get to at some point, but uh, skated that ramp and then was able to hit, get in with and hit rules ramp. And me and my buddy, Bob from Galveston, who I'll mention a bunch of time. He's my, one of my skater bros from way back. We were skating in my driveway in 82, 83, maybe 83, 84, something like that. And this guy comes by in a van and it's got the painting on the side and the bubble window. And he rolls down the window and it's a hippie looking dude with long hair. And he's, he's like, Hey, you guys are skateboarding. You know where a ramp is? It was David Morris. Oh, nice. David Morris, who worked at the skate park in Houston forever. And so we're like, what the hell? And so we go, we go, yes, we know where a ramp was. But at that time, I was borrowing my dad's car. And so he said, well, let's go. And so we got in the van and smoked weed and <laughs> the whole thing. Got to the ramp, and I've got pictures of him riding the ramp. He was good. He would do airs and all that kind of stuff. And to give you kind of a time key, he was riding a board that had Mickey Mouse shooting the finger that said, fuck, I ran. So it was like very early eighties. Yeah. Very early eighties. And then he said, Hey, do you guys know there's a skate park up in North Houston and da da da. And that was right at the time when, um, it was the original skate park. Well, there was Cherry Hurst. I think it was the name of it was the original skate park that Dennis Ebenet's parents owned. And then down the street from that, he had this ramp that was part of a metal shop because his dad was a metal worker. And he had this, this, this half pipes. They weren't ramps. They were half Pipes. Yeah, there were big steel pipes, pipes cut in half. No and, flat bottom. And no flat bottom. There's photos of that. And then they moved to the skate park Houston. And that's when I started going there. So right when that kind of first happened, there was the Kahuna and a little mini ramp and not much else there. Even the bowl wasn't dug out from the old oh, yeah, skate park. No. So anyway. I remember when they uh, 
you know, and then so from that point on, that's when I kind of started learning. Uh, I had the gift, I guess. I was loud enough to announce. So I started announcing and I started working with Dennis at the park a little bit. And then I... That's when I first encountered you. Right. And then I was running contests, mostly the AM stuff. And then eventually in the later years, I was able to do the the pros and the shut up and skates and all that. But uh, lucky enough to be around that, I was team manager for whatever you want to call that at the time for a couple of years because I was the only one that was had a car and was going to college at that time and was you know, able to handle it, Troy and Johnny and Gene and all those guys were too partying and too off. And so I was the dude that was kind of in between. And then we had a bunch well, of young you, kids. You were part of Team Love at that point. Yeah, part of Team Love and that's San Marcus. And that was a whole thing that we will get into. But anyway, to move forward, uh, you know, moving into this time, I've pretty, pretty much not stopped skating and uh, not great at it. I had my hips replaced two years ago and I'm back at skating, uh, you know, again, doing what I can. I love rolling. I love doing what I possibly can. I'm frustrated I can't do the old shit, but that's okay. Um, but then also doing things and involved doing helping with events and contests and all that. And then here we go. Here we go. So, if you haven't turned it off at this point, that's who the fuck we are and why we're kooks. And we are kind of kooks. We're kind of nerdy. We're kind of we're hey nerds man, about skateboarding. Like they said in Batman, you either die a hero or live long enough to become a villain. There's something like that with skateboarding where you live long enough to become a kook. <laughs> yes, sir. Or you just quit. You just quit. Screw that. Um, what was the original name you wanted to call this? Uh, won't shut up and can't skate. <laughs> Well, can't shut up or skate. Oh, can't shut up and or skate. That or, was originally going to be the name. Uh, we I nixed that one, but you know. No, you had uh, your your idea is more. That was a wiser decision, but I was just trying to make fun of the fact that you know we, we still got to get that skateboard company used to could going. Yeah, exactly. Used to could. That'll be a thing. So let's move into what this episode is about. And sorry it took a little bit to get here, but again, like episode zero, we would kind of make sure that you guys know who we are Dude, and we already what's did going what on. what this episode's about. Well, we did, but let's dig into it. We, we made it over the mountain. We made it over the mountain. This is all gravy at this point. This is all gravy at this point. So. Good morning, class. Class. History begins. So what do we know now? What the hell have we found what's on paper what's in print what's in videos and what we found is there is some mentions and there are some news articles and there are mentions of johnny and a few others about texas but outside of that in the early days before 1981 there's really not much there's in paper almost print. nothing right now our rich history with our own people and our brothers and big brothers They've shared stories. Some of them have videos. A couple of them have photos, um, but there's not much. And as I mentioned in episode zero, I'm going to pull this little book up here. This book is called Four Wheels and a Board, and it's a Smithsonian uh, history of skateboarding. Which means it's legitimate. It's the last final word in history. Yeah. Did you see how I just threw that book down? Here's why. It's great in some ways, but there's zero. Zero mention of texas there's not even i didn't find a picture of johnny's board or zorlock and there may be some so i could be wrong but basically there's zero yeah that's and so that's incredibly frustrating and you know hey the same goes with florida same goes with maryland where the second park in the country was i'm sorry third park was third third park uh, you know but we're talking about texas and that kind of pisses us off and we're proud and we're loud and we love texas and uh that's why that's important that that book 
isn't that great. Sorry, Smithsonian. You need to talk to some people. Y'all need to make a revised edition. Y'all need to make a revised edition. That's for sure. So, and then I have a book about insane terrain, and that is from Thrasher Magazine. But that a reputable publication. Now that goes to to 1981 and above. So we're just going to show it, and then we're going to pause. I'm not going to really talk about it because we're going to kind of really start here going up to 81. Right. In this first episode. To me, the thing that validates this book the most is the cover imagery. Yes. What would that... Hmm. Let's talk about it. I have a little circle right here and it says site one. This would be site one. Carjack. Why and what is site one? Site one would be the ammo pipe. The Amarillo pipe. Actually, I don't know. I mean, they call it that because it's near Amarillo. It's actually the the uh, Sanger pipe. Or... Uh, Sanford, I'm sorry, Sanger's North Texas. Uh, Sanford and Borger, Texas are the towns right on Lake Meredith. And uh, that is, by all accounts of anybody who's ever visited or ridden it, one of the greatest natural skate spots ever created on earth. And it's worth the pretty substantial risk you take by going there um not only to life and limb but to liberty if the authorities catch you yes so site one that will also be an episode of which carrie and i have not carrie's been there i have not only been able to do a drive-by drive-by you want to go with a crew Uh, you don't want to try to tackle that thing by yourself but there are discussions of a mini site one again here in the central texas area being ventured but if you know, you know. That's site 1A. Site 1A. <laughs> site unseen. Um, all right, moving through my notes. So the other thing that we know um, is a few years ago, early 2000, there was an attempt to do a history of Texas skateboarding. And I mentioned this in episode zero. There were a lot of interviews, a lot of key interviews with OGs, which includes some of the big boys, includes Hubert Plummer, includes Kenny. I was lucky to be on it. Brett Anderson. It goes on and on and on. And these were legit interviews done. And then I'm trying to get, this is part of the history that we want to discover because we're not going to shy away from punches. And that is some flack happened between some people and the footage and all that project walked away and hasn't been available. And somebody still has it. I've heard spatterings of it. Uh, we'd like to kind of get some clarification on on who was it. It was a production company and they were doing some things and working with some other people and headbutts. And for whatever reason, I don't know, maybe Jeff Newton was involved somewhat and some other people, but um, not to say that he was the headbutter, but it was whoever and however the story was being told. And anyway, the ownership, et cetera. But the footage is not around. We don't know where it is. And we're going to try to find it. We're going to try but to find it. That's part of what we want to investigate and find that footage because it's super important. And these were interviews and shit. I just want to see what they said, what we said then and what we would say now with how the evolution of skateboarding has gone. So that's something that I recently had a discussion uh, yesterday with Alan Gentry. And it was Alan Gentry and Mike Laird, I mentioned before, did a YouTube series not too long ago. Um, I mentioned it, Shut Up and Skate, a history, a history of Texas skateboarding. And also they have one that's called Episodic Tales. Um, and it's six episodes. He has more in the gun, but that's part of your homework. We are going to put some links and we want you to go search out. You can search 
shut up and skate, Texas skateboarding history, that sort of thing. You'll find it. They're very avant-garde, and there is a specific episode that I want to speak about here. Um, but to mention, there are six total episodes, two of which are Jeff Phillips, which are beautifully done, that has some bagpipes playing, and it's Jeff Phillips at, at Shut Up and Skate in Houston, and he's doing a big front side. He's doing one. is a front side air, one's a boneless over the channel, and as he does the trick, he disappears. <laughs> in the screen and it's very very in much with again we miss jeff it's been 30 years and he is you know one of the top that we will discuss in texas along with all the other greats that we know so let's uh let me take a second because i want to talk about i made some notes about this and why i want to refer to it and i got the okay with alan and we're going to share again this podcast is about everybody sharing this history so we can get it down straight and carjack i've referred this to you i think you've seen this in full or in mostly in full the this ep these episodes on youtube yes yeah, yeah. so uh, the specific one i want to talk about is kind of goes in line with this first episode about our history and our feelings that even though Texas was seeing the magazines three months behind, two months behind, we were doing the same things at the same time for the same reasons. We were discovering our own tricks. We probably had names for it and discovering this stuff. And this first episode beautifully explains it. Now, originally, it was supposed to be narrated by Jeff Phillips' mother, Alan said, and wasn't able to make that happen. So this was the southern next-door neighbor of Mike Laird who uh, narrates this. And it basically talks about, you know, kind of the same thing and similar to California, but our argument again is happening at the same time. And that is surfing in the Gulf of Mexico. In the Gulf of Mexico, the waves aren't all that big and not particularly frequent either. Sometimes when it rains in Texas, it's just like the sky opens up and a wall of water falls straight down to the earth. I don't know where all that water goes. Must go somewhere. And the waves aren't very consistent and they're often not very big. And we already know the skateboard was alive at that point as a toy in the early 60s and maybe even back to the late 50s, but early 60s for sure. And the surfers basically turned to that because it gave them the feeling of riding waves that weren't there. And they could cruise down the sidewalk or find hills or whatever and all that. So we're not telling anything you don't know. Are there but, a lot of hills on the Texas yeah, coast? A little bit, but in Texas... Our point is, is it was happening at the same time that everybody in California claims that it was happening. Yeah, absolutely. And almost any place that was a coastal city with some kind of a surf culture, there was a skateboard scene happening in the 60s, in the early 70s, before any of it blew up. So two things about skateboarding that you will hear me mention. One of them is always giving respect to roller skaters because our four wheels came from their eight wheels. The sisters typically have the skates and the boys disassembled them and made boards. And I've heard stories from several OGs that were doing this again simultaneously same creative idea i don't think anybody can claim it being first although i'm sure that there's somebody that does that so um but um you know with that the second thing is skateboarding is really a starting story about water yes it is and why is it Especially a starting story Texas. about water well once again because 
we started surfing and we had to do something when it wasn't surf or a shitty surf. And so you started skateboarding. And so the surfing can be magical. It can give you a feeling. So can snowboarding and skiing and those kinds of things. And so how do you do that in a hot ass state in the middle of the summer or when there's no waves and it's flat? So, well, Texas has an amazing infrastructure of drainage ditches because when it rains here, it tends to flood. Well, that's exactly what I was going to get to. And Carjack, my note here says Texas weather, mostly hot and dry, and then a lot of rain. And then I noted flash flood from Kerry. Explain. Which flash flood? No, explain the hot, dry weather and then then the oh. quick raining and then what happens to the water. Well, I mean, <laughs> the funny thing is there are places that are thought of as very rainy, wet cities like Seattle. Sure. Seattle's got a reputation of being like one of the wettest cities in America. Houston gets more annual rainfall than Seattle does. Houston also has over... Three o'clock every afternoon. Yeah, Houston gets over 300 sunny days a year. So that means Houston has to cram all that rainfall into very short amounts of time. So when it comes down, it comes down like crazy. And that water has to go somewhere because Houston's very flat. There's not a lot of natural drainage. So got to build channels, places to get that water off the street and away into someplace safer like the Gulf. And what's that word called? That would be a drainage ditch. No. Oh, infrastructure? Infrastructure. Yes. And there's a lot of infrastructure in Texas. A a lot. lot A lot of hidden infrastructure that if you don't have the skateboarder's eye, it might not look like anything to you. If you do have the skateboarder's eye, it looks like paradise. And man, I'll tell you what, we are definitely going to do some episodes on ditches. There's no doubt about that. But the beautiful thing about ditches, which is one of my favorite, but I call that a medium is that my favorite medium? That's not the right. That's an art thing. Like my favorite medium to skate, my favorite terrain. 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 Okay, let's go. Uh, let's go with terrain. I'm sometimes not smart. Uh, <laughs> and, you know, ditches, the cool thing about ditches and why those are so very important also to skateboarding, not just in Texas, but everywhere, is because ditches are different. Ditches are man made structures for a purpose that they didn't realize is exactly beneficial to other purposes, which happens to be skateboarding, rolling, sports, let's say, things of that nature. But if they're not wet and they're dry... Which they are 90% 90% of the time. time, It's the perfect thing. And what's the other cool thing about ditches and waves and the ocean and why this is important is because all of them go downhill. Downhill. What's that mean? You can keep your speed. You can carve. You can cut. They have pipes. They have culverts. They have ridges. They have edges. They have steepness and all that great shit. Yes. It's not shit. I said shit a few times in the first episode. It's not shit. Well, it's when I you say have a potty shit, mouth. I mean glorious. Yeah. Don't give me some soap. So anyway, so yeah. <laughs> um, but yeah, and then, you know, obviously in those those early days when now there is footage in video I have seen in uh, those days of skating meat grinder, yep. uh, which is a ditch next to easy down the way from easy seven and other ditches um, early. If there's not really much talk about it, maybe there is, but there's not much of paper other than, Hey dude, skated ditches. And we want to try to dig in and hopefully find some stories about that stuff and who was there and some of the crews and the names and the people and that sort of thing. And there's a lot of videos of that stuff happening early. And then simultaneously, California and everywhere else, you know what Texas also had because it was hot all the time and there was no relief because it was hot. What did people build? Swimming pools. (sighs) 
And what happens to swimming pools every once in a while? Mm, they got to get drained. And why? I mean, for reasons. I'm, I'm just going to say because it's the right thing to do. Right. But no, seriously. So that's one of the big things that this, this episode I'm talking about uh, on YouTube that we're referring to leads into that beautifully and talks about, well... There's something else that's kind of like a ditch, kind of like a wave. It's a little more gnarlier, and it's empty, and it's concrete cement, cemently concrete. It's both. It, 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 yeah. Yeah, I know. One's an ingredient, and, you know, the other's another. But, <laughs> but uh, yeah, so what were people in Texas doing? Probably Corpus, Houston, maybe by that time, Dallas and other places. We're going to give a little bit of advantage to the coastal cities and skateboarding in Texas. That could be an argument down the road, but we're going to give a little advantage on the early days. Now, I'll have an argument for that in a few minutes referring to North Texas, but for now, uh, a lot of the surf style and that sort of thing came from that point. So pools, and then they started doing that. Yeah. And, you know, and then you, you could throw full pipes into that same thing because it's all part of the same infrastructure thing. And, you know, Texas... Every single lake in this great state is man-made. There are no natural lakes in Texas. Some people will say Caddo Lake in East Texas, but the uh, the outlet for that is actually in Louisiana. So I'm just going to consider that uh, sort of an exception to the rule. But every other lake in the whole state is just a river where somebody put a dam to create a, a lake. Well, if you put a dam, you got to let water through and you need to have an overflow spillway of some sort. And so a lot of those end up being writable channels, writable full pipes. And uh, I would venture to say Texas probably has more writable full pipes than any other state just because of the size and the number of artificial lakes we have here. And part of the term, especially in the 80s, of skate punk comes from a bunch of skater kids. Yeah, maybe they were doing some bad shit and punk type things but for the most part they were just trying to find places to skate they were trying to barge and get where they could to take care of it and in turn they were mischievous and in trouble and things of light and that nature so yeah um uh but texas was doing it at the same time there were a lot of empty pools and they were doing it and then we get into and we'll dig more into that as we get into some interviews because we definitely have some questions to dig into those early days because we can't speak of everything. We can only speak of what we know and where we're trying to get to this. Um, and then we get to kind of my point uh, today. This would be, uh, well, early creek parks. And I'm not going to necessarily go through the list because I do have a list here that I've discovered and I found out that there is more. Um, and it's a list of all the skate parks here in the 70s in uh, Texas. And I figured out there's a couple that weren't on this list, but there's somewhere around 20 or so in that first, in that first wave. wave. Um, and uh, we're probably running a little bit long, so we won't get too deep into this, but we will definitely be getting into this. And I will also post up all those parks because some of them have a couple, I have links and some pictures and some photos. And then I have, uh, I don't know when it started, where it was. I mean, we do have cities, but I don't know pictures, links. There's no mention of it. Um, there's quite a few parks, uh, an integral one that we'll talk about later, uh, Big Springs, which nobody has ever heard of barely, but there was a big park. I can't find shit on it. I can't find anything. And there's people that have stuff and that's part of what we're trying to do here. So, um, Corpus Christi. I'm going to go ahead and bring it up now, Carjack. Corpus Christi. People have heard of it, but in the skateboarding community, Corpus Christi, I'm discovering, is by far one of the most underrated, 
undermentioned, undernoticed, and respected skateboard cities in the world. It definitely does not get the recognition that it deserves. Absolutely. And I feel like it was integral to the beginning of the skateboarding culture in Texas. It was. And what is Corpus known for? Well, there's a big military base there. And there's a lot of military, you know, families and that sort of thing. It's got some, you know, nice beaches and all that kind of stuff. Um, but Corpus Christi is going to be discussed a lot because we are finding that Corpus Christi should be a lot more highlighted than it has been and is very important. And as we talked, the very second concrete skate park in the world starting in the 70s, because again, there were a couple in the early 60s that died quick. Uh, the second one was Holly Hills that opened in May of 1976, just two months after Carlsbad California Park, which was the first. So that whole argument of us doing things and Corpus Christi, with May 1976 and Holly Hills, I have done a little bit of digging and found some pretty cool stuff as far as that goes and why um, Corpus Christi is very important and underrated. And, you know, other than first off, it's a surf town. Yes, absolutely important. Uh, and let's see, what else did we talk about? Ditches. There are ditches there. They have a pretty famous ditch called Hot Lips that uh, was actually there's a photo of hot lips it's either hot lips or whip and dip i don't remember which one in the one in dallas that's whip uh, and dip there's a picture of uh, a woman in a bikini laying on a car that's whip and, and in dip. the background okay is that whip and dip in dallas okay that was a thrasher, was a thrasher article in like 87 but a corpus had hot lips hot lips no not hot lips what was the, yeah hot lips the ditch but there was a ditch out there in Corpus. There's also a ditch outside of Portland near the police station and a couple other things. But um, the point is, is that Corpus also had ditches. So do you think that in May, June, July of 1976 that skaters were saying, hey, there's no surf. What are we going to do? We're going to go skate the ditches. And well, I think they were saying that for a couple of years before sure, the sure, skate sure. park yeah, no, absolutely. Um, but that and the pools that were happening um, – definitely leads into that very early part of Texas skateboarding history. And um, there was a lot of stuff that was also going on, like we mentioned in Houston. Um, what we don't know, what we're going to find out about is what was going on in Dallas up in the 70s, in that time frame. And we'll get there. We'll get there. Although I do have a mention, and that is, I wrote Nash. You mean the world's largest skateboard manufacturer? Yeah. Why is Nash important? And why do, how do we bring up North Texas in this conversation? Uh, because many of us, our first board was a twin tail plastic yellow banana board Nash, or maybe one of those wood with steel wheels Nash. Yeah. And in uh, the, in the 60s and the very early 70s, Nash was making what was considered state of the art at the time. It's just when skateboarding exploded in the 80s, they didn't necessarily up their game to what the modern standards were, but they still had the biggest factory and were cranking them out. They were cranking them out. They were by volume. They were the biggest skateboard manufacturer in the world true. in Fort Worth, Texas. So very important. They were uh, and then a big fire happened. And when yeah. the fire happened, what do you suppose happens to a, uh, Oh, a warehouse with a wood shop and a lot of laminate glue in there. 
It burned for four days straight. The fire department could not put it out. They had to let it just burn itself out. It was gnarly. Look at the brain on Carjack. As I mentioned, I did not find that in my search, but I knew that there was a fire. They started in 1960 in Fort Worth, Texas. The very first model was the Goofy Foot Sidewalk Surfer. And um, also, also, I found out that Nash owns or owned Hobie. I could see that. Didn't know that, but somebody named Frank... Nassworthy. He invented the urethane skateboard wheel. Well, he was tied to Nash skateboards. Was he? Yes. And every information at least I can find. Now, somebody might correct me, but I'm finding those tied together. In fact, Frank Nashworthy of Fort Worth, Texas, former skateboard uh, business owner that they talk about in this article is on April 23rd listed his house of 1.1 acres built in 1976 for 2.95 million. Well, that's just like a three-bedroom house in Austin. Exactly, but in Fort Worth, Texas. But from the guy Oh, in Fort Worth, that's a mansion. Guy involved with Nash Skateboards um, and all that. And like you said, he was the first person that introduced polyurethane wheels. He was doing something called Roller Sports. Uh, Once again, thank you, Roller Skating. Wasn't Frank the guy who started Cadillac Wheels? Yeah, he is. You were reading my notes ahead. He started Cadillac Wheels, and then he also sold out or gave uh, rights or something to Bain. Do I say that right? B-A-H-N, Bain, Bond, Bain? I've never known how to pronounce that. That company. So uh, when you talk about the early history, you talk about everything that we're trying to build, that is also a big part of it. A lot of people will be like, Nash boards, those are crap. And yeah, they made a lot of shitty boards. They made a lot of Kmart plastic truck executioner. Yeah, but if you listen to lots of skateboard podcasts, including The Wood by our good friend John Miller, um, a lot of dudes talk about how their very first skateboard was a Nash. And they usually pretty quickly realized they needed something a little bit uh, more sturdy and legit and pro level uh, equipment. But that means Nash helped get a lot of skateboarders started, gave them an affordable entry point to get in to skateboarding. And so, you know, I'm, I think there's value in that. Like I I will also at the same time, uh, not, you know, I'm proud to say I never, I never rode a Nash skateboard, but that was, you know, they got a lot of people into skateboarding that might not have been otherwise. And I think there was value in that. I'm not up on how involved Frank Nasworthy was with it, but man, he invented the urethane skateboard wheel. That absolutely revolutionized skateboarding. From Texas, revolutionized skateboarding. Now, he had moved out to California. They do still talk about he had moved out to California. So again, he took California, but there's that Texas influence again. Well, freaking yeehaw, boy, howdy. Texas again, but... Did you know that? We knew that. Yeah. We, we learned that. Did you guys know that? Because these guys look at us going, man, you guys are talking for a long time. Everybody had an Nash execution. I've got a collection of several Nashes in Not my... everybody. Um, I didn't have one either. So, well, Carjack, that's a perfect lead and transition into... I teased it in the first episode, and I said which hasn't even been out yet, I said, hey, Jimmy, if you're listening, we might ask you to be our first interview. And lo and behold, that has happened. And so you guys are going to have to stick around when we edit all this stuff and we get to episode number two that we're going to record later today because standing in Carjack's kitchen, I see Mr. Jimmy Gonzalez. 
He's standing there. He's looking at some stuff. So he's going to be our next episode and our first interview, and that is upcoming on episode two. So as we tie this into a knot and wind this down, just like in the first episode zero uh, and our mentions of the Dropping In Texas podcast, we are joined for a little discussion and memoriam about something important to our Houston hearts. And Chase Tejas is with us. What's going on, Chase? Hey, guys. Can you hear me? I have no headphones. Yeah, you have no headphones. We can get you some, but we can hear you. You sound great, buddy. You sounded great. So like we said before, Chase, is they're going to be coming in and popping in every once in a while and helping out. And they're doing their thing and we're doing our thing and we're all a happy family. So, Chase, we wanted to talk a little bit about Surf House and Lloyd and just give a little bit of a shout out. It's been about a year or so, and Surf House fits in perfectly because we're talking about pre-1981 and skateboarding on the coast and Houston and what is more iconic and important to Houston skateboarding than Surf House and Lloyd. The oldest running skateboard shop in probably the world. I don't know. Ron John is probably been around i don't know they're pretty about the same time i okay. think yeah but what uh, surf house since 68 67 67 December 1967 good grief so tell us you're pretty close and tight with that and there's been a lot of things going on but to kind of kind of put it into a little light short concise wise yeah. talk about lloyd and surf house and what's so important about that why we why we loved him so Lloyd uh, went out to, I guess he went to the Navy in California. Okay. Um, I think he was in San Diego, if I remember correctly. I'll, I'll get more information. He went out to California, fell in love with the surf scene, skate scene, came back, married Carol. She was very young when they got married. Um, opened Surf House in December of 1967. That was all just from being inspired by the surf scene in Southern California. I believe so. That's pretty awesome, man. He wanted to bring it back, and that's kind of what he wanted to do for the rest of his life. And, you know, Lloyd always only wore flip-flops, corduroys, and t-shirts. Historically, that's yeah. all he ever did. Yeah. The wintertime and the summertime and the summer, it was corduroy shorts. Mm -hmm. His corduroys and his... Um, and his flip-flops were kind of the, yeah. that was his style. And that was, he got that from California. Yeah, he always had that look whenever we would go into the shop. And yeah, it's been a, a year and a couple months since he passed away. Um, surf House is not closed, although new ownership. Yeah, it is, looks like it's going to it's gonna, it's gonna ch change to a new location. And right. I'm sure there'll be some, we'll some see changes. Him. We'll see how yeah. that goes. Well, it's going to yeah. be a modern skateboard shop. Like sure. Surf House, their big boom was about 1982 to about 90. A nostalgic, a nostalgic paradise of a shop. Yeah, it will be memorial stuff. They have most of the all the old skateboards and some of the you know everybody who ever came to Surf House and did a demo, whether if it was just a surfer showing up to promote a product or a new you know um, a new board or something. Is that at a time they Surf House had equal amount of skate and surf. Stuff. Yes, they did totally. It became more of a skate thing in the '90s when all the ramps went away and. Parks started to go away, I guess. And yeah. then we had this resurgence of, of concrete parks. Yep. And that's what you're part of. Um, but yeah, the new shop, I don't know anything about the guys. Uh, hopefully they will carry on the soul of the shop, which is what. We'll talk about the soul of the shop and how important it is for the early days. And, and like it was the shop, it was the first shop that I think I remember other than my local bike route, which had boards, the, the shop that you would go and you'd hang out. That was where you got your inspiration. You met up with your pros. You went to Easy Sevens. We, yeah. That was that was a meeting point for people all over Texas to let's go hit Easy Seven. Yep. Maybe if we're there uh, on a weekend, we can go to Trade Lens and yep. skate the ramps at Trade Lens. We can go. 
There was a number of, of ramps in the neighborhood, some good, some not so good, but it was the 80s. And so we learned how to build and we skated what we we built. And we learned by looking at other guys or, or like you said, hey, come help me build it. I don't know how to do a transition. Yep. Oh, you do it. Put a string on, on a board. And, you know. right. well, I, remember the, I first learned about Surf House from skating at Easy 7 and there was a, a big graffiti mural piece with the misfit skull mm -hmm. and then it said right next to that surf house not in the mall exactly <laughs> and i was like i gotta see what this like place shannon's, is about shannon's, right. was, shannon's, was, shannon's in the was in the mall, mall. there was well, there, there was, was shannon's yeah there was oh, that's right christian yeah. and then uh richie and mimi yeah more city yeah, yeah. but and there was a lot of other like skate type shops that ended up being in malls in the mid 80s and you know even places that were like Gatsuks. yeah or places that were selling you know the kind of Pigeons. store that would just sell like like ocean pacific surfwear would also have skateboards MD. and then every bike shop had you know the schwinn bicycle Estes shop would have yeah Estes. But then, that dude was weird but then surf house was like this i was like wait what is that and the locals told me like dude it's right down the street on over on 34th and yeah. we went yeah, there and, and we're like Oh, this is a real skate shop. This place is awesome. Custom ordered low top pants for yeah. twenty nine. If you needed to pick up some wax to go hit those ankle snapper waves down there, you could yeah. grab some on the way. Yeah. Yeah. Well, and then the other thing that I figured out immediately was just how no how nice Lloyd and Carol were, and how supportive they were because we would throw little you know, uh, skate contests in the back parking lot of a movie theater or something. And people just bring a drunk and come in and say, do you want to donate? And they stuff? would hook us up so generously. One time we were out and I were working and you came in and Brian came in and Lloyd was like, do you have any proof that you're doing this contest? <laughs> yeah. Like, this Bunch of skateboxing mall. <laughs> yeah. They're doing it. Yeah. He, he always gave, yeah, he hooked people up, man. And they're, they're, Yo, I remember we brought in photos of our last one to show him right, that it was right. legit. And he, man, he hooked us. He gave us all these t-shirts that were probably like dead stock of stuff he couldn't yeah. move because they just said surf house. And we sat up all night with Sharpies making like writing team all on them and trying to make them look like like legit skate shirts yeah, putting yeah, the date of yeah. the contest but man he probably gave us like 400 bucks worth of gear it, okay. he was so generous yeah yeah and he did that for so many people yeah wasn't there a thing about like if you got a board and gripped it he gripped it for you so that, there, that was a big thing there were a lot of people who who were at surf house when they were kids and, and then they grew up and had families and then took their kids in there and what they would tell their kids is like look lloyd put together my first skate or like back in 1978 or something like that or right. whatever so you should have that experience and let lloyd do your grip tape he still that's did cool. it up to the day he died yeah that's, yeah that's yeah. all awesome. come in and he would he would do all and it would take him a while because he's sure. just 80 something but grip tape's a pain in the ass that's, yeah. that's the one thing i hate about skateboarding <laughs> is choosing the grip tape putting it on how am i going to do it what's my design going to be am i going to leave the logo right, right. am i going to put clear over the logo you know? oh boy yep. quick so, note Chase hates skateboarding. <laughs> no, I don't skateboarding. <laughs> most skateboarders. So. That happens. Well, uh, we appreciate you stepping in. We wanted to say something about Lloyd and about Surf House because it's important. Our first episode here has been about the early, early, early days, and surfing is directly tied in. And you can't talk about Texas, Houston, especially, but Texas 
without talking about Surf House and talking about Lloyd and the in his his uh, participation and sponsoring of Easy Sevens, the Turkey Jams for a year, and all that kind of stuff. So um, we love him, we miss him. We we are glad that somebody was able to come in and help take care of Carol via the shop, and and that's in what's important in life. And and we can we can share the history and we can talk about his memory, and that's how Lloyd and Surf House are going to continue to live on because he will be and that shop will be mentioned a bunch say what was the attitude what was you said what was the soul of the shop there was a sign on the door and lloyd and carol were famous for making their signs their tags they did everything by hand they had no printing they had no fucking internet yep. can i say that? yes yes you, you can, can say it well it says fuck you we're from texas yeah. right behind you in the background so that's this is where we drop in the obligatory Sorry, mom. Sorry, sorry, mom. My mom will listen to this. She probably would. Um, so Lloyd's thing was no shirt, no shoes, no problem. Yep, I remember that sign. Beautiful. And I don't know where that sign is. I tried to get it. Uh, I got the open yep. sign that was on the door for thirty years. I yep. that. Um, I have a few cool things, but um, that was the deal, man. You could roll in there, and one thing was that if you walked in, there was no. They hated smoking. Yep. Well cigarettes yeah so if you walked in there smelling like cigarettes carol would bitch you out she'd be like you smell like cigarettes and we don't like that in here one time a guy walked in the door and he exhaled his last puff inside the shop oh boy get, get out yeah out. yeah damn i wish that was on record no shirt no shoes no problem but definitely no fucking cigarettes yep man that was, that was that's great that is great so uh Thanks, Chase. Thanks. Again, they're going to be dropping in every once in a while. Uh, this one is about something close to his heart, which is why he was here to come uh, hang out and watch, and we wanted to step in, but he'll be coming in. They've got some... We're going to figure out some spots and some some things for you guys to do. And some in the meantime, make sure to check out Dropping in Texas podcast with Chase and our good friend Hondo Hank. And uh, I guess we're going to kind of wind this down, so... Folks, if you're still here with us, let us know what you think. We hope we're entertaining. We've got some stories. We've got uh, some stuff that we have dug into. And as you can see, we're going to kind of uh, really spend some time on small chunks of things, if you call that a small chunk, I guess, the early days. There's not... Uh, there's a lot more to the to that part of the story, but that's where the interviews come in, and that's where we talk to people to kind of fill in some of the stuff that we don't know about those early days, and then as we move into the modern times. So, and some of that'll um, be coming up right away on our next episode. That is correct. So, um, if you like what we're doing, we'd love your support. We are looking for people who want to support our program in a number of ways. So, reach out to us at our Instagram. I just did a Facebook page, and then we've got won't shut up and skate at gmail.com. Uh, by this time, we will have a website, v care of Podbean, I believe, and John and his uh, production company. That would and be Eureka Street. Eureka Street. And so, uh, yeah, this has been fun. Episode number one in the books. We appreciate you guys listening. We appreciate the support. Share, like. Find us, like, shout it out, subscribe, sub rate, subscribe. review. Yeah, we haven't got to the subscribe yet. Don't and, comment. And we don't want to hear it. Yeah, we're not giving Carjack or Chase's OnlyFans page out yet, so that'll be upcoming. But uh, really, seriously, thanks for uh, listening, and uh, we're going to be getting to our interview, which you won't hear for a couple of weeks. And in the meantime... <laughs> Hey, Chip, how many skateboarders does it take to change a light bulb? Oh, um, Carjack, uh, how many skateboarders does it take to... For this week, ten. 
one to change the light bulb, and nine others to go out and tell all their friends how sick it was. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And on that note. And on that note, thank you for joining the Won't Shut Up and Skate podcast. We'll be back at you whenever the hell we get to you. In the meantime, in the meantime, Carjack. Get out there and go grind a curb.